I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's see. Uh, worst week since January 2016. All indices given up big gains, even from last year. 20% of stocks in bear market territory. Dow down about 2,500 points from the high. Two and a half trillion dollars lost. Oh, you've heard it all. And I just have to keep in front of you that much of the selling we saw today was deeply related, again, to the incredibly large bets against volatility made by clueless money managers who expected things would remain calm as they had for ages. Whoops! But in the end, we, uh, we rebounded today. Dow rallying 330 points, and by the way, 800 points from its intraday bottom. And the S&P and the Nasdaq each gaining 1.49% after spending a lot of time in the wilderness. The selling abated midday, and then we rallied late in the day because the margin clerks didn't have to use their meat axes because bargain hunters stepped in to save it for the bulls. So how will things play out going forward? Let's go to the game plan for next week to find out. Now, this is really important, and I'm going to keep this eye on funds. When we come in on Monday, we're going to be watching all these funds that allow you to bet against volatility to see if the madness continues. These funds led the market down today, and when they started to rebound, they took the market with them. As much as I hate them, and I think they are useless and a pox on your portfolio, they are totally and completely and utterly in charge, and do not let anyone else tell you otherwise. Remember, while rising interest rates started the sell-off, the market's insane reaction was fueled by investors who made big bets against volatility, and they did it with borrowed money. As volatility suddenly just surged, their brokers demanded they put up more capital to meet their short. In order to raise that money, what did they do? Many of them were forced to sell stocks. And this is what wrecked the market, sending us into a tailspin for the week. Now, this is, people, the reality. Now, most commentators, people who write, people who tell a tale, don't seem to believe me that these volatility instruments could cause so much collateral damage. They're wrong. They're wrong because they haven't worked in a margin department like I have. They haven't traded as I have. They don't have the contacts I have. They don't know about the securities as I do. Generally, they're either academics or dilettantes. My mother would hate that I was that, that much hubris, but I have to do this. Why? Because I want to help you. The fact is that this kind of forced selling is typical behavior for those who've margined up and been caught on the wrong side of the trade. Lots of hedge funds bet that volatility would remain low because they were just dumb. And things have been calm for a long time. There's a real excuse to do strategy, a strategy. And when I say lots, you know what? There may be as much as a trillion dollars doing this. Yeah, you heard me. Not 100 million. A trillion dollars bet wrong. And when you add in all the implicit bets against volatility that have been bet the wrong way, it may even be higher. 
I've heard as high as $1.4 trillion. These trades need to be unwound in full, and you can watch the process play out by following these three toxic volatility instruments. The UVXY, the VXX, and the TVIX. I narrated them today on Twitter. I'm not going to do that again, but it was nice to get it right. If you see these open higher from the get-go on Monday, and if they do, oh boy, on huge volume, then the odds are that the bulls will have another real bad day. That's what happened during all the really weak moments this week and intraday today. And it will repeat itself because you don't unwind a trillion bucks in a couple of weeks. So put those symbols up on your monitor. They're the proximate cause of the decline, and they'll tell us all we need to know at 9.30 a.m. If they open down big, we might be in the clear up big. And I'm going to tell you, we resume that sell-off that we saw intraday. Now, what we're waiting for is a washout where the volume dries up for these pernicious instruments and the stress dies down. If that happens and interest rates remain calm, there's a lot of a couple of things. Oh, here's a new one. And oil stops going down. A lot of ifs, right? Then we'll return to our regularly scheduled programming on Tuesday when the company PepsiCo reports. PepsiCo has a history of meeting and beating its numbers and raising forecasts. As CEO Ingenui has done such an amazing job stabilizing the soda business while unleashing all sorts of good and good-for-you snacks on top of the Doritos that we all love. That's right. I'm proud to be a fan of Frito-Lay. I know in my darkest hour of worry on Saturday, when I so feared an Eagles loss in the big one, my wife Lisa said, go get us a monster-sized bag of Doritos. We need them. If the numbers are good and PepsiCo opens higher and the VIX cools, then we're going to have a real nice day. Tall order could happen. We also hear from Under Armour. I'm wondering if the sportswear company will announce that they've handled their inventory problems and are going to streamline their products and return to their roots. Now, I actually believe CEO Kevin Plank has a chance to lead a renaissance of the company. And with the stock down at 1375, eh, I think it's running out of downside. On Wednesday, Cisco reports. Here's a company that's one of the biggest beneficiaries of tax reform. Remember that? Thanks to the huge cash hoard overseas. More important, I think the recent acquisitions have enabled Cisco to become more of a software company and less of a hardware company. CEO Chuck Robbins is well on his way to making this one of the best ways to invest in the Internet of Things. And who can resist that juicy 3% yield? We hear from Marriott, too. Now, this stock's been a gigantic winner that's barely down for the year. How strong a business do they have? I bet they're going to have a terrific quarter, which is why I recommend buying Marriott into any VIX-related nonsense before the quarter. A tougher one, Applied Materials, AMAT. Last time reported, we got a sensational number, and the stock rallied, but then it faltered. I'd say the entire semiconductor segment might depend on what this company has to say and how the stock reacts. I think Applied Materials is a winner down here at these levels. It's worth nibbling on going into the quarter. I mentioned this morning, by the way, on Squawk on the Street, that I told club members of ActionAlertsPlus.com that it was time to do some buying at last into weakness today. We've been waiting to apply some of our cash hoard, and we did just that by buying the stock of waste management, among others, with a couple of pretty good ones. Now, why did we do this? We expect that waste management is going to report an excellent quarter Thursday morning. I also think waste management is a go-to name because of its aggressive buyback and because of the pickup in construction in Florida and Texas. Remember, construction drives the most trash. Friday, we have our biggest quarry of earnings. Get this. We got Coca-Cola. We got Kraft Heinz, Deere, and Newell. 
I bet all four are poised to head higher, but for different reasons. Coca-Cola is a new CEO, James Quincy. And when and the stocks come way down to where it yields 3.4%. By the way, historically, that's a great level to buy. We've got a similar situation with a similar yield and a motivated management of Kraft Heinz, which has been a real stinker. I expect they have something up their sleeves to turn things around because, oh, my, has it been a horrible stock. Deer's stock has pulled back 17 points from its high, and the agriculture feed the world trade is very much game on. After years of pain management, Deer's become quite adept at telling its story. I really like it at the quarter. Finally, we've got a real saga going here with Newell Brands. Remember when these guys bought Jarden and Newell CEO Michael Polk promised synergies and good times ahead? Well, it's been a total and unmitigated disaster. And now Jarden's former CEO, Martin Franklin, has teamed up with Starboard, the activist fund, to try to throw out Polk and the entire Newell board and let Franklin take the reins. It's funny because when Franklin sold Jordan to Newell, he was on the board and then he left it. Now he wants the whole kit and caboodle. I have to tell you that Polk's tried his best, but he's really dropped the ball and he's cost shareholders fortunes in doing so. If the company can report a good quarter on Friday, maybe he keeps his job. A bad one? You know what? I think Franklin unseats the whole lot of them. And that's how much pain's been inflicted in here. They'll toss Polk out. So here's the bottom line. The VIX busters are still in charge. You need to see these pieces of paper calm down and calm down now. I wish they were banned. Fidelity, great work saying no to letting people trade from the, their house with these. If they, don't, if they don't stop, no common stock is safe. If they do, we should have a huge relief rally like we had this afternoon, as long as interest rates also go down. And now you know how to play it. Ara in Ohio, Ara. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. I'm calling about Honda Motors, a stock that's been treading water for 12 years now. While part of the challenge car industry, they do differentiate themselves with product like the newly designed Honda Accord, which has been playing to rave reviews. They're growing briskly in China, gaining motorcycle market share, and are about to enter the personal aircraft market. My question is, will Honda stay stuck in low gear or accelerate into overdrive? Um, I'm not a big fan. It did have a big move from the bottom last year, and I think that's about all you're going to get. The auto stocks are really bad. Please stay away from Ford, by the way. Horrendous number in China today. Craig in New York. Craig. Two interests, Digital Reality Trust and your impression on the server read space in general. Okay. Unfortunately, the server read space is still a read. That's the key word. All reads are going down because rates are going high, including the good ones like the one you just mentioned. How about Marvin in California? Marvin. Yes, sir. Go ahead. You're up. Okay. Here, I have a question about Shopify. Um, I read one of your articles where you said maybe I should wait until it drops about 10 points. And was that off the earnings per share you were talking about, the 10 points? I thought that uh, that uh, there's a short seller, Citron, uh, Interlap. I thought he made a good case that Shopify could come down. Uh, it went down for a couple of days, and then it took off. Uh, I noticed that the stock barely went down in this sell-off. That is a sign of strength. If it wasn't crushed by this sell-off, I don't know what the heck will do it. But a lot of that, by the way, is there's a big short squeeze going on when it goes down. All right. The VIX busters are still in charge. If things calm down with the VIX and all those crazy instruments, you know now how to profit. Well, man, money tonight. After so much volatile action, is it time to go digging through the rubble for buys? I'm putting together a shopping list of some of the Dow stocks that I like. Then there's a not-so-quiet rebellion going on in the bond market, and it could continue to impact your money. I'm going to break it down. And I'm eyeing a high-quality name on one of my favorite th- themes. 
that could be the first to bounce back into the kind of sell-off we've seen. And by the way, the bounce back started today. I'll reveal the name just ahead. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Don't let the seesaw nature of this market fool you. As long as we keep getting slammed by hedge funds that have gone wild, the ones who borrowed lots of money to bet against volatility are now being forced to sell stocks in order to pay back their brokers. It's going to create bargains like we had today before the late afternoon rebound. Of course, bargains can still get cheaper. We know that. It might happen next week. I don't want to say that the pain is over. But you should certainly prepare for more days like today. Remember, we've seen this movie before. The last time the market got crushed like we've seen over the last week was in January of 2016. And you know what happened? It turned out to be an epic buying opportunity as the market rallied 10,000 points over the next two years. 10,000 points. But you need to be systematic with your bargain hunting. So what I want to do is use an example. I want to go over the 10 biggest recent decliners in the Dow Jones Industrial Average coming in today as an exercise in how to spot opportunity and profit from it. First, the worst performer in the Dow is the most problematic industrial of the era. That's General Electric. What the heck are we supposed to do with this dog? Full disclosure, my charitable trust sadly owns it, having fallen victim to the wiles of the previous CEO, Jeff Immelt. Now the chairman of Athena Health. Good luck with that, oh goddess of wisdom. But as burned as I feel about GE, the analyst community is even more enraged. I'd say they're being too negative and creating a nice buying opportunity, but the balance sheet is so ugly and the obligation so opaque that it's really hard to say. I mean, who really knows what the obligations are here? So I don't blame anyone for despising the stock of GE. This thing is like a Frankenstein's monster of stitched together divisions that Imel overpaid for systematically. And when you overpay, you can't just break up the businesses, some of the parts like boom, because there's too much debt on the balance sheet. Frankly, I wish new CEO John Flannery had simultaneously eliminated GE's dividend rather than cutting it and sold 100 million shares to raise capital. I think the stock would be much higher. Barring that, GE needs one thing and one thing only out to get out of the short-term penalty box. It needs oil going higher. Unfortunately, it's going lower. The new GE is heavily levered to oil. Not only does it own Baker Hughes, its locomotives, turbines, and airplane engines all sell better when energy is much higher. But I'm not that sanguine about oil. So for now, I say you got to stay away from GE. You don't need the agita. Second, there's Chevron. Now, this stock made no sense to me when it was trading at 133 just a couple of weeks ago, challenging its all-time highs from 2014 when oil was 50 bucks higher. That's crazy. Then the sell-off happened, and we realized that those prices were indeed wrong. But even with Chevron down 15% from its recent highs, it's still not attractive. I want the share price lower and the yield currently at 4% higher. You just don't want to own a big integrated oil. when Many money managers have turned on the entire cohort, and oil's plummeting. Hard pass. Third, Intel. Listen, something is very wrong with the semiconductor cohort if Intel is really this low. The darn thing trades at 12 times earnings with many different irons in the fire, no longer just the PC, but also the data center connected car. In short, Intel's a buy. That said, NVIDIA has been my favorite in the group, and while it's nowhere near as cheap as Intel, if it gets hammered again by this volatile market after that amazing quarter, it'll be worth buying. 
NVIDIA is king. Intel's bishop. The fourth biggest decliner in the Dow, Caterpillar. Oh, this one's real difficult. Caterpillar had become a momentum stock, trading on the presumption that the global economy is going to keep getting stronger as CAC continues to get leaner. When you hear people say the market's too high and it went too high too fast, CAT's become exhibit A. Stock was at 60 just two years ago. Now it's at 149. It's been higher. Yet it sells for only 16 times earnings and it's down 24 bucks from its highs. Sounds like no man's land. Fifth is Exxon. You know it's been ages since you can get Exxon with a 4% yield like you are now. Unlike Chevron, Exxon didn't go to ridiculously low levels. Uh, I'm sorry, ridiculously high levels. But I'm on the fence for the same reason. Uh, I see I can't see oil going back to 65, but I could easily imagine it falling back to the mid-50s. I think you have to be disciplined on this one. If any suspicions in this market, you've got to say, just say no. And uh, even though Exxon wasn't as high as Chevron, I think it can go lower. Number six, J&J. It's a very good buy into weakness like we had earlier today. As a matter of fact, it rallied. It's the uh, best earnings generator of the drug stocks in the Dow. Uh, but the actual best earnings generator in this cohort is Abvi. Is it uh, the classic uh, portfolio manager's choice? Uh, I think it's second best after Abvi now. But on the other hand, it's much better than Pfizer, another Dow stock that's the seventh biggest decliner in the index, which to me has nothing enticing about it. Of all the stocks in the Dow, Pfizer is the least interest to me precisely because it's neither here nor there and won't be uh, until it develops some fabulous new drugs or makes a game-changing acquisition to boost the growth rate. Hey, while I'm at it, the eighth biggest decliner, Merck, doesn't intrigue me either. Not enough growth, 3.5% yield, simply not enough to fend off the sellers. How about 3M, the ninth on the bedraggled list? Hmm, tough. I think the world of the company, but the stock uh, had gotten a little too high versus where I'd like to buy it from my charitable trust. But that said, you know something? I just sat down for a rare interview with CEO Inga Tulin. More on that later. And I came with thinking that there's too much new product momentum here to ignore. So what I'm saying is this. I bless the starting position at these levels. Maybe you get more as it goes lower. I think you'll agree with me after the interview. Finally, there's Apple. And what can I say? Apple stock is down from 180, falling to the mid-150s, where I said it could go if it didn't get everything right uh, in that most recent quarter. And it didn't. But you know what? Some of my thesis does feel like it's built on quicksand. Why am I so hesitant? Because the programs play particular havoc with this stock. So my take, it's counterintuitive, but they really whip around the big boys. That's right. These futures really get a stock like Apple down. So I say buy some Apple here and then wait to see if the futures can crush it down to 140 where you can buy more. Will it get there? Hey, I don't know. In this tape, anything's possible. As long as the hedge funds betting against volatility still need to unwind their positions. And we saw from the volume in these particular stocks today that they're not done. Bottom line, let's see of the 10 biggest decliners, what do we like in the Dow? We like Intel, J&J, 3M, and Apple. They're all attractive. And they'll only get even more attractive as the hedge funds gone wild, continue to blow out of their stocks in order to raise capital so they can meet their ever-burgeoning by-the-hour obligations. Once the forced selling ends, even for the moment like we saw during the afternoon's comeback, the names I just gave you will roar. Remember, there's nothing wrong with these stocks other than that they went too high. That's the chief ailment. And guess what? It's being cured every time they tick lower. Scott in Texas. Scott. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Fly, eagle, fly. Oh, yes. Indeed. So I have a question for you, Jim. I've followed your advice in your book, Getting Back to Even, on call options um, using stock replacement. Right. And I was wondering, I've had success with some good companies on any signs of weakness, um, but before this earnings season, I bought a call option in J&J, Constellation Brands, and Alibaba. 
I bought them three to five months out at the money. And I was wondering if you recommend getting out of these for now in this no, turmoil. No, no, no. As they dip, do more. All three of them. As a matter of fact, if you have to go do another strike down and a, stri- and, uh, and a month out. No, you're, you're in winners there. I want you to do the opposite. When we have a down day when interest rates go up or we have more of this VIX nonsense, double down. I'm not kidding. Those are good. The sell-off could prove to be a huge buying opportunity eventually, but you need to be systematic about your bargain hunting. And remember, the pain may not be over. Always be prepared for more days like today and be ready during that dip like we did for the child trust today. Much more mad money ahead. Over the short term, the market might be controlled by some strange fix-related notes. But I'm telling you why the long-term outlook might present another problem. Hmm. Then I'm sitting down with the CEO of a company whose stock managed to rally over 4% on a volatile day like today. Don't miss my sit-down with Proofpoint CEO. And the down may be all over the place, but I'm lying one industrial player that could be worth considering, despite the unknowns. So stick with Kramer. I will say this as many times as it takes. The extremely short-term action in this stock market is controlled by hedge funds who borrowed money to bet against volatility and are now being margined out by their brokers. But the bigger picture involves something more important, and that's the 10-year Treasury. The rise in Treasury yields a week ago is what got this whole negativity ball rolling. I think the force selling by investors in these VIX-related exchange-traded notes was responsible for, say, roughly half the decline. Seriously, half. The other half, though, is the surge in rates. Historically, this almost always leads to a sell-off in the stock market. In fact, the last time the yield on the 10-year Treasury ticked up to nearly 3%, a little higher than it is now, we got crushed. That was four years ago during the so-called taper tantrum when then-Fed Chair Ben Bernanke said that he'd taper the Fed's bond-buying program because the economy had improved enough that it wasn't needed. That said, in a normal environment, this kind of rate increase really wouldn't lead to such a devastating decline. In a normal environment. And we have a more robust economy, so of course interest rates are headed higher. We have a bigger deficit in part because of the corporate tax cuts that will not pay for themselves. The market realizes that. We have the absence of buyers from China and Saudi Arabia. The Chinese are actually dumping their substantial hoarded treasuries just when we really could use their buying power. More important, we finally have some inflation building in the system. We have to accept that. Wages are going up in part because of the big corporate tax breaks. You read about all the the, uh, hikes. CBS did it yesterday. We have a shortage of labor in many industries, particularly trucking and home building. There are raw costs that are climbing, including aluminum and oil-based chemicals. Those are the building blocks of plastic. At the same time, though, we also have Amazon keeping costs down in retail. We have technology replacing workers all over the place. And we have oil going down, which helps keep bonds from breaching 3%, but is inversely regarded as negative for the stock market. Crazy, right? Because it's, it perceives that lower oil means the economy's weakening. A false construct, but it does believe that. Now, we've done a lot of work on the correlation between stocks and bonds, we being me. As it turns out, every meaningful tick up in rates has produced stock market losses during this particular period. Does that make sense? In a word, yes. When interest rates go higher, bonds become more attractive as an asset class, which makes stocks less attractive by comparison. Obviously, a risk-free 3% return from treasuries is a lot better than a risky 3% yield from a dividend stock if you're looking for steady income. 
Plus, if inflation is really the reason why rates are going higher, rather than this being a product of the government issuing more bonds, overwhelming the marketplace, and foreign countries buying less of them, then there is a problem for certain for stocks. Inflation makes what we call long-dated assets, those are stocks, less enticing. I mean, think about it. The value of a stock is based on its future earning stream, but inflation erodes the purchasing power of those future dollars, right? So what does it all mean? Even when the volatility trade that I've been talking and tweeting about all week is fully unwound, and it's going to be, we still need to worry about interest rates. If the yield of the 10-year keeps moving appreciably higher next week, it's going to trigger another round of selling in stocks, which is why you need to watch the 10-year like a hawk, the TVIX for the volatility, and the 10-year for the interest rate problem. But here's the silver lining. What goes down can go up. Sure, the economy is booming, but if the bond supply can be absorbed and the raw costs and wage levels be tamed, as so many, including Clorox, suggested this week on the raw, raw stuff, then what will happen? Well, the selling onslaught will stop. And you'll wish you bought some stocks right here. Let's take some calls. Uh, can we speak to David? David? Uh, pins and needle booyah, Professor Kramer. Oh, that's a good booyah. What's going on? Well, back in the beginning of January, uh, the Chinese announced that they would stop buying Treasury bonds. Do you think that has made an impact on yield because the Treasury has to attract new investors to fill such a large vacuum? And do you think the announcement from the Chinese is a precursor to trade wars? Congrats Um, on the Eagles, and thanks for taking my call. Oh, thank you, David. Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. I think that the Chinese are trying to show displeasure with us by not buying our treasuries. I do think that lack of buying power has hurt interest rates and made them go up. And I do think the Chinese are cutting their nose off despite their face. Those who speculated that there will be no increase in volatility will put pressure on the market as as they exit. But I assure you, what matters more are the bonds, ultimately. And if they do go down in yield and up in price, you will certainly wish you had bought some stocks. Stick with Kramer. You know what tends to bounce back first from the kind of intense sell-off we've been experiencing? High-quality plays on big secular growth themes that we know are in good shape no matter what's happening with the VIX. Take Proofpoint PFPT, cloud-based cybersecurity play. We know Proofpoint's doing well. Why? Because they just reported on Tuesday, and it was a robust quarter. They delivered a 9-cent earnings beat off a 20-cent basis. Think about the percentage there. Higher-than-expected sales, up 36% year-over-year. Very small quadrant of companies finishing that high. And while the earnings guidance was a tad conservative, management raised their full-year revenue forecast. Yet what happens? The stock tumbles nearly 10 bucks over the following two sessions, even as it started bouncing back this afternoon, finishing damn 4.5%. But you're still getting that that fabulous quarter for next to nothing. And while Proofpoint, like all stocks, can absolutely go lower in this environment, it's the kind of thing you might want to have on your shopping list here. So let's check in with Gary Steele. He's the CEO of Proofpoint. Learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Steele, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Gary. Have a seat. Good to be here. Thanks so much. Gary, since I see you last, now you are processing over 5 billion emails a day. Who can possibly do that? No, the great thing is that visibility and that insight really helps us better protect our customers. So we're excited about CloudMark, which is an acquisition we did in the fall, uh, plus the visibility we have today. Just gives us a really interesting and unique position as we think about the future of cybersecurity. And I see, I love what you did. You did this acquisition for Wombat. 
and you're making us better, not just the guys in IT. Yeah, we recognize that every organization wants to train their people to be smarter. And so with Wombat, we can do simulated attacks. So actually train you on what's actually happening in the cybersecurity landscape and also do a level of awareness training. We think everybody's going to want to do this. I, it makes so much sense. I know the big banks often target each other as, you know, kind of in war games. It costs a fortune in time and energy. This seems to be able to make it so they don't have to do that. No, we make, we make the process of simulating attacks highly automated. And then they can track... What users need more, need more training? And we can do that with um, an automated system that really improves the overall education of their user base. Well, I, I, when we talked last in San Francisco, uh, I was saying, listen, I get these emails. They look just like Amazon. They're just like so-and-so. You now have brand uh, threat analysis that is stopping people from doing that. Yeah, we, we look at everything coming in, we analyze it, and we do our very best to ensure that we don't deliver those kinds of messages. Because at the end of the day, who's being targeted today is individuals. Right. Attackers have moved away from targeting infrastructure. They're focused on these socially engineered attacks, meaning they figure out something about you and compel you to click. They've, they are so smart. I'm glad you guys are smarter. Now, you're pretty competitive because, Gary, you talk about how in this most recent conference, which I just love because it all went your way, that at Microsoft is part of the 360 Office 365 bundle, not enough for a lot of clients. They want a step up. They want proof point. They do, and, we've, and it's really driven by the threat landscape. So the things that are driving our growth, and we're really proud of the results that we posted for Q4 and, and for Should all be. of 17, but it really comes down to two things. One is moving to the cloud. So this Office 365 phenomena, people are taking their on-premise capabilities, they're moving to the cloud. And as part of that, they have to move security to the cloud. And yes, Microsoft has a set of base capabilities, right. but they want more. And it really is driven by the complex threat landscape that we live with every single day. Well, I mean, I, why can't Microsoft do the same thing? Big company, Satya Nadella, yep. Smart. Why can't he just duplicate what Proofpoint does? Well, I think that um, we can deliver incremental value because of the visibility we talked about. Um, it's the focus that we have. And I think more importantly, the cyber attackers are always testing in the Microsoft environment. They know yes. exactly what Microsoft's yes. going to do. So it, it creates a very high bar for Microsoft. Um, I just wanted to check in with you on whether people are still using the UI. I was on a panel with you. Uh, that people are still uh, using uh, cyber attacks and, they, and for ransom. They want uh, cryptocurrencies. Is all that stuff still going on? Ransomware is still How high. How big? How big? Uh, we still see a new variant of ransomware every few days. I thought that we had and, beaten this thing, Gary. Well, ransom, one of the things that is kind of interesting is as cryptocurrencies become in vogue and everybody's right. talking about it, and you guys spend a lot of time talking about right. it, um, cyber criminals are actually targeting individuals that have cryptocurrency. They're also infecting individuals like you and I right. infect our laptops so you, you can create a cryptocurrency miner that actually mines for oh, cryptocurrency. Come on. Use all energy. Super rampant. It's rampant. Well, it's, you know, no. you, you, everybody's got a device and everybody's got a little compute power that can be allocated towards cryptocurrency mining. Well, so, you know, cyber criminals follow the money. Not well, oh, I can tell you, every time you're on, you scare me, but you also protect me. I really appreciate it. And you've got a great story to tell. That's Gary Steele, CEO of Proofpoint, PFPT, which is the best of the cybersecurity stocks we follow. Man, money's back in. It is time. It's time for the lightning. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with George in Ohio. George. 
Hey, Mr. Kramer, how you doing? I am doing well, George. How about you? Well, I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit a little bit screwed up because um, I got very infatuated with a stock that I learned about from you, Mazor okay. Robotics, and I bought it. And I sold it, and I made a good deal of money. Okay. And then I bought it back. Okay. And I went against my own advice when my son said to me, Dad, you're up really substantially. Okay. Okay. I said, okay, that's a good narrative, and I appreciate it. Mazer's a good stock, and I like it here. Let's go to Bob in Massachusetts. Bob. Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for all you do, and uh, congratulations on the Eagles. Thank We're you very much. I was on the one. Eagles bus earlier than everybody but, other than uh, Jason Kelsey. What's up? The reason I called, uh, a few days back, you were talking defense stocks. Defense. You talked about Lockheed, Raytheon, right. Harris. But what about little Kratos? Well, Kratos is good, but why go with that when you got all these big dogs that were down so much into this VIX-related sell-off? That's what I do. Garrison in Georgia. Garrison. Yes, sir. How you doing, Mr. Jim? What stock? Yes, sir. How you doing, sir? Um, I was just, I'm a new investor in stock, and I was wondering about this stock, Roku. Um, could you now, give me man, advice if on you're that? a new investor and you want to get some uh, high-growth stock, you're being given an opportunity. I keep saying it. I've liked it since 300. Now it's 1,300. I like Amazon. People say, well, Jim, how did you hurt me at 1,500? I have been consistently liking Amazon. What am I going to do? Just say, like, I like it at 50. I like it at 13, 14. No, I like Amazon. Let's go to David in New Jersey, please. David. Jimmy, good evening. Good I'm evening, calling about Sorrento Therapeutics, S-R-N-E. What can you tell me about this stock? I can tell Thanks. you that I need to do more because I don't know Sorrento. I know Sorrento, the town. That's clearly not what you're asking about. We will do work. How about Mark in Pennsylvania? Mark. Hey, Jim, how are you? Listen, I want to know about Caladoc. It seems to be head and shoulders to... Uh, Going on there. My problem with Teladoc is there are many people coming into that segment and they are not necessarily playing for big money. So let's say Ixnay, Teladoc Day. Let's go to Catherine in Ohio, please. Catherine. Mr. Kramer. Yes. Longtime listener, own all your books. Uh, my stock today is Warehouser, symbol WY. I like warehouses, 3.79% yield in the housing business these days. Through only, through wood, they got rid of their formal housing. I like the story. It's a real estate investment trust, though, so be careful. It's going down with them. I like it, though. Jerry in Florida. Jerry! Hey. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for all your hard work. Oh, jeez. Thank you very much. I like, I like Oreos and I like Cadbury chocolate. But I'm not sure if I should continue to hold Mondelez. No, I got a new boss in there. I think he's going to do a good job. I would on very low risk stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It's easy to talk about the big picture forces that make you feel like this market is being tossed around like a rag doll. But you never want to lose sight of the actual fundamentals of individual companies. At the end of the day, there are lots of high quality companies that are doing very, very well. And their stocks get cheaper as they go lower. Take 3M, the iconic American manufacturer that makes everything from industrial and healthcare equipment to safety gear to consumer products like Post-it notes and scotch tape. 3M is an innovation machine that's constantly coming up with new products so it can take market share and big 
profits. When the company reported two weeks ago, it delivered a fabulous quarter, but its stock has sold off hard along with the rest of the market. And while it can go lower, of course, it's the kind of stock that belongs on your shopping list, if not in your portfolio, which is why I would get started buying on Monday. Now, last Friday, we got a chance to check in with Inga Tulin, the terrific chairman and CEO of 3M. Take a look. Inga, it's an honor to have you on Mad Money. Thank you. I I can't think of a better time to have you because, you see, everyone is so scared now. All of a sudden, we've got some stock market that is nutty. They want something fundamental to fall back on. And here we have the CEO of the company that may be the embodiment of fundamental. Tell people what you've done over the years and how this kind of market it, it isn't beyond your playbook. Well, well thank you, first, first of all, for the compliment. And thank you for coming to Minnesota. Oh, yeah. I, uh, first of all, I think it's important that you have a playbook in place. And, okay. and we have had a playbook in place for many, many years. Okay. Uh, and the way we look upon it, we have three key issues that we work on in order to create more value for shareholders and for customers as we move ahead. Uh, portfolio management is one. Okay. Uh, invest in innovation, meaning research and development, is the second. And then business transformation is the third one. Those three elements are creating more value as we move ahead for shareholders and customers. Well, let's talk about this notion of innovation. Right. I think the reason why people always undervalue your company is they're looking at what you have and they're extrapolating. How much of what you have now didn't exist five years ago? Well, but we have something we call New Product Vitality Index, MPVI. That is around 30% of products sold today that did not exist five years ago. Now, there is no company that has that. You know that. I don't think so. I don't think so. I will be surprised because what we have, we have, first of all, a very robust model to connect with the market. And we have two innovation models, one called customer-inspired innovation, Mm -hmm. and one called idea to innovation. And I think those two things, if you think about customer-inspired innovation, is when we work direct with the customer. Probability of success is very, very high. And the other one, idea to innovation, is about market. You take those two models, there's only two in the company, you have then 46 technology platforms that is owned by the company. They're not owned by a division or country. Everyone can use it. And with 8,100 scientists, we can then create value for our customers as we move ahead. Well, let's talk about, uh, I know a lot of companies use your products, but a lot of individuals use. So give us an example of what the idea factory and the ones that you're directly solving for the consumer have produced. Yeah. I think, first of all, you, what people mostly know is, is, of course, in the consumer space. Right. Where we have command, we have filtrate, we have post-it, and we have right. scotch. Uh, but we also have other products which is going into global trend around uh, clean air, right. so respiratory products, etc., which is a huge opportunity for us, specifically in Asia. So that's these uh, elements where we work with consumers, go into panels, and then develop respiratory product that is based on your face, not the individual right. face, but our faces look different. You're, you're too self, face. but yeah. you're too self-effacing. The truth is, is that you're dominant in China when it comes to air quality. I don't know what the people would do there without you. I don't know if we are dominate. I don't like to use that word, but I can tell you one thing. When I visit China, when I have interviews in China, it's very difficult to get off the respiratory products. So our, our real brand equity in China is actually around our respiratory products and what we do in air and in water, et cetera. Well, it's but that's very important. Something that matters for the environment that you're actually uh, 
eons ahead of other people is uh, mm-hmm. auto electrification. Yeah. T- now, people don't know that. They, they know about great Band-Aids that you've done with wound yeah. care. Yeah. They certainly know about, uh, about uh, scotch tape. But auto electrification, they don't know. Where are you? Well, if you think about 3M, there is three elements in 3M that is very important. First of all, we have been in the automotive industry for a long, long time. We are in ele- uh, electronic and energy, have been there for many, many years. And we are global leaders since 80 years in traffic safety. If you take those three elements together, that is where the future is going. So we can capitalize on what we know in traffic safety, which is a very strong position for us, not only in vertical signage, but in license plates and also payment marking. That is where you need to regulate things going forward. Electronic and energy, specifically in electronic, we have an incredible competitive position. And then we are in automotive and been for a long time. That is for me, that as I look upon the future, that's a market that will explode for 3M. That's around 6 billion addressable market mm-hmm. with a growth rate of 8 to 10%. So, and we are now growing that business around 15 to 20% if you combine the three elements. We have a lot of industrials that when everything's booming, get that kind of growth. But when things aren't booming, they have nowhere near that kind of growth. All that I'm hearing from you, all the products, really don't have anything to do with the boom-bust nature of the global economy. We have worked on our portfolio the last six years very, very hard in order to make sure there is less volatility in the market. And uh, there are two businesses specifically that I would say have done a fantastic job, electronic and energy and safety and graphics. Those two businesses have worked very hard to streamline the organization, to have a portfolio that is more relevant for the market and the customers so we can capitalize on that. Let's talk portfolio management. At various times I find 3M you know, offloading something and bring something else in. You're not afraid to, to buy a different, uh, another company, but it always seems like whatever you bring in is better than what you have, and you're always willing to say, okay, that was good, but we're moving on from that. Yeah. I think we, um, uh, six years ago, we looked upon the fundamental strengths of 3M. The fundamental strengths of 3M is technology platforms, manufacturing capabilities, geographic reach, and brand equity. If you take those four elements and look upon your portfolio, that is where you have to decide, will this business belong to 3M? Can we create value around it? I found that many businesses inside of 3M did not meet those criteria. And in fact, they were underperforming versus 3M's average. Now, we are a company, as you know, this year, we grew 5% organically with 25% margins. So our expectation is very high. The businesses that could not meet at least three of those four elements, we figure out they will be better off with a different owner. They were often smaller, right. the margin was lower, they were not growing as fast, and we couldn't create value. So we said that's, that's not a personal issue, it's a business issue. Right. They, right. Can, they can go somewhere else. At the same time, we purchased businesses where we said on those four f- fundamentals, we can create value very fast to our shareholders. That's also why we have bought some sizable businesses, and you're right, they are bigger, they are performing better, they are more profitable, and the relevance for us in the market is very, very significant. All right, in the short time we have left remaining, Inga, uh, people are nervous, 
people want to know is dividend safety. They want to know, are our companies really buying back stock? They want to know history of dividend. Is this something that just started? 3M, I think, embodies all of those and what people should have at home. So why don't you just go over what the 100-year record is? Yeah. I would say one thing that I think is important. If you think about, like, a bell curve, Right. Uh, think about the bell curve where you say that in the middle is the CEO. Okay. Very important. The CEO is in the middle. On the left-hand side, you have people, processes, and things that are better. Okay. On the right-hand side, you have different. You need to move things from better to different because on the different side is where the real value creation is. That is where you create premium return to your shareholder and premium return to your customers. So you need to move that to the right-hand side. That's important. 3M, we have done that for over 100 years. And if you think about the facts, for 100 years, 3M have consecutively paid dividends. For 60 years, we have consecutively increased dividends. And the last five years, we have more than doubled the dividends. And as you saw last quarter, we increased 16%. And still, I can tell you, Jim, one thing. 3M's best days are still ahead of us. I'm going to leave it at that because I love that tone. I just have just admired your work. And, of course, as my father was a rep for your company, admired it for, let's say, 60 years. That's Inga Tulin, okay. chairman of the board, president and CEO of 3M, one of my absolute favorite companies. Inga, okay. thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. Far from me to ever think that I could recommend a stock up 14 points. But if you see NVIDIA, the stock, not the dog, down at all on Monday, I would buy it. Why? Because it was the best quarter so far of 2018. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you next time. I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.